My mission is simple, to make you money. I'm here to level the playing field for all investors. There's always a bull market somewhere, and I promise to help you find it. Mad Money starts now. Hey, I'm Kramer. Welcome to Mad Money. Welcome to Kramer. I've been wanting to make friends, but trying to make some money. My job is not just to entertain, but to educate and teach you. So call me at 1-800-743-CBC or tweet me at Jim Kramer. There's nothing like a delayed stock market sea change orchestrated by the Federal Reserve. That's why the average is rocketed higher today. Dow gained 217 points. S&P climbed 1.09%. The NASDAQ pole vaulting 1.42%. Biggest Fed chief Jay Powell came out yesterday and told us we won't need another rate hike in 2019. In fact, he came very close to admitting that he made a mistake. They know nothing! When he tightened in December and damaged the economy, really for no good reason whatsoever. But being Federal Reserve chairman means, yes, you never have to say you're sorry. Now, I've heard a lot of people today who worry things must be much worse than they seem, or else Powell would have, wouldn't have made such sweeping statements about the slowdown that's engulfing us. But that's only true if you haven't been paying any attention. I do wish Powell had said that he's data-dependent, and right now the data says not to tighten. Then again, he did something very crafty yesterday. Basically, Powell told you you can ignore all those myriad Fed governors and presidents, oh, so boring, aren't they, who talk like it's time to tighten, because he's decided, well, that ain't going to happen. Maybe, I don't know, I mean... I think it's nice. I think it's really nice. This is a dramatic shift. We don't need to worry about more rate hikes, and that's why it's causing a sea change in the stock market right now, uh, because we're in a low-growth environment again. So what is the playbook for a low-growth environment? First, let's get one thing straight. There are more stocks that do well in a low-growth environment than in a high-growth environment. In other words, Powell told us that we won't have much of an economic tailwind, and that is okay, people. You don't say, shoot, there goes the market. You say, gotcha. Who can make a lot of money without the economy blowing wind in their sails? Second, a low interest rate environment like the one we have now and like we may have for some time as the tenure currently yields just 2.5%, down from 3.2%, not that long ago. You can pivot back to the high-yielding dividend stocks that people fled from when long-term rates spiked. Third, the best stocks to buy in this situation are the ones with the fastest growth because there's almost no inflation. So companies with the ability to generate tremendous profits in what we call the out years suddenly look more attractive. Think of the cloud kings or the soon-to-be public Lyft or Uber or Airbnb. Finally, when a central bank finishes raising interest rates, the currency those rates are denominated in, that becomes less appealing. In other words, we're going to get a weaker dollar, which is fabulous for American companies that do a lot of business overseas. That's true even for the companies that are caught in the crosshairs of the trade war with China. They benefit from weaker dollar, too. Remember, you have a strong, you have a weak dollar translates uh, to more sales versus the other guys. And one of the things that I absolutely love about the weak dollars is that the other countries have their rates so low that I think it could really happen when their rates go higher. All right. So then what stocks fit the profile? Exhibit A, Amazon. Here's a company that's almost totally insensitive to growth worldwide or otherwise. Amazon has the out years component, so we don't have to worry as much that its huge earnings in, say, 2024 will be eroded by inflation. It's got management that knows how to deal with the lower prices that may be needed to attract consumers who may not be doing as well as last year. Plus, it has Amazon Web Services, the cloud infrastructure kingpin that's growing at a 47% clip. And we'll offer some strong comparisons year over year. Second, people jump the gun here, but Apple is perfect for this kind of environment. The company is a lot less, lot less economically sensitive than most people think because of the subsidies that most wireless companies offer for the iPhone. Meanwhile, Apple gets a huge boost from a weak dollar. They've got a budding subscription business that's sticky and easily augmented by new products and acquisitions. The only problem, I don't like how, how much Apple stock ran today as so many analysts tried to get ahead of next week's big product meeting. 
That's why I always tell you to own Apple. Don't trade it. You've heard that before. The analysts, on the other hand, they tell you to wham a jamma, right? They tell you to sell it, buy it, sell it, buy it. And uh, they, as it goes lower, they tell you to sell it. And then as it starts going up, they tell you to buy it. Profoundly unhelpful. I know it's hard to stick with this one. Believe me, when I went on Twitter, as Apple dropped to $140 recently, and I said, own it, don't trade it. I got the usual cat calls for riding it all the way down, you bozo. But with the stock back at 195 it turns out sticking with it was a good call, right? I mean, good thing I didn't listen to the tweenut gallery. Tweenut gallery. Next up, take your pick of the cloud kings. They're all expensive, but it's all get out here. But they're also the fastest growers, and they aren't particularly economically sensitive at all. Salesforce reported good quarters, and it's ServiceNow and OW. But you know what? I, 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 there's one that's not a king yet, but pay attention to Twilio, which breaks out every day. That's a perfect example of a company riding a great secular growth trend. And remember, it powers Lyft, which comes public next Friday. You need a semiconductor stock. The fastest growing chip maker is NVIDIA! Since it just acquired Mellanox, machine learning, artificial intelligence, gaming, it's all there. You can go with AMD, which just won a big piece of business for Google for gaming. Dr. Lisa Su. Micron's management announced a production cut last night, and that should solve the glut for DRAMs and Flash in the second half of the year. I think the stock's gotten ahead of itself, but it can still work, as does Lamb Research, LRCX, which makes the very capital equipment that Micron's cutting back on. I know, isn't that counterintuitive? But history tells us that's precisely when you buy the stocks of the semiconductor equipment makers. History doesn't lie. They have long cycles, and their customers are going to put in orders six months from now, which could make 2020 a good year. If you want a safe growth stock with a dividend and some exposure to a weaker dollar, may I suggest you're describing PepsiCo? I think Pep's growth will be terrific, and it's got a new product pipeline. I just had these chips last night. They had this really great flavor, uh, and they have this like kind of great palate and my wife gave them to me. Anyway, uh, these are all going to be added to earnings soon. As, by the way, Bubbly's doing it. It's crushing the other guys in that same category. I like the stock. I like the 3% yield. It's marvelous. I know a ton of people worried about J&J. Johnson Johnson of this talc situation where they allegedly had a known carcinogen in their baby powder and did nothing about it for ages. I think J&J's pipeline is what I'm focused on. It's magnificent. Don't forget, they also had that esketamine. They had a new name for them. Uh, plus, it's a fabulous weak dollar play. I also like Generous Mills. That's right, General Mills, which reported better than expected quarter and supports a 4% yield. I think you got to buy it on pullback. It's up four straight points. Now, what can't be bought here? What is awful? What needs to be? Because it is a or. The banks. The banks are problematic. The economy isn't strong enough to entertain big construction. The net interest margins aren't going anywhere. Now the Fed is not going to raise rates. Bad loans start showing up in the third quarter. It's just a total suboptimal situation until their stocks give you higher yields, which means they have to go lower. What else? The big cyclicals have historically been wrong in a worldwide slowdown. Wrong. And the oils are simply lame, with few redeeming qualities in a low inflation environment. Look, I'm not saying you should swap out of the losers and buy the winners immediately. But the bottom line is that you need to be in the right frame of mind for this new market, for this playbook that I just gave you. I've used it as a professional. And it's worked every single time we've had low growth, low inflation, going all the way back to 1981. I think this time will be no different. I need to go to Rat 2 in Pennsylvania. Rat 2. Hey, Jim. So I had two questions. Sure. First one being, with FedEx recently missing its earnings and Amazon expanding its in-house logistics, what do you believe is the future outlook for the logistic market as a whole? Yeah, look, and, I, I think logistics. Oh, God, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to interrupt. No, no, you can answer the first one. I'll go on to the second one. Well, here's the problem. 
these stocks, uh, you know, I was listening to Fred Smith the other day in FedEx, and it, this is a very tough sector right now. They've got too much business uh, domestically and internationally slowing down. I mean, too much business should be actually what we think is good news, but their systems are overloaded. What's the second part there? Ratu's got a two-part question. Yeah, uh, XBO Logistics specifically, it's been getting battered for the past yeah. few months with the Spruce Capital report. Um, it st- street's still really bullish on it, so what's your take well, on it? Well, I think that when I, here's what I always say about these situations where you've got a short seller going against a company. I invite management on. I have to invite Brad Jacobs on. And what I would do is I would ask him the questions that the short seller is posing. And then I think we get to the bottom of it. So, Brad, come on, buddy. Come on back. John in Kentucky. John. Hey, Jim. John, what's up? A uh, longtime fan and viewer of yours. My grandson, Kellum, and I try to watch you almost every night. Thank uh, you. My stock is Zillow, Jim. And uh, uh, I've owned it for over four years. And during the last uh, three years, yeah. it doubled in price. But then only to trade back down again to where it started from the last year. Right. With, uh, well, John, here's with, the problem. Uh, they, here's the problem. They made some changes. They got in the business of flipping houses. Uh, that was what I call ill-advised. The most uh, the advice I give you is keep listening with your son, with your grandson. I love that. But Zillow is uh, is a house of pain. You know, I like Zscale. I like Zendesk. I like Zebra. But you can't like every Z. Nothing like a market sea change orchestrated by the Fed's about face. You now have the playbook for this change in direction. Oh man, tonight Levi Strauss first went public nearly a half a century ago, and it's a tough enough to survive years of wear and tear. But as the stock is enduring as a pair of vintage jeans, I'm eyeing the company after today's IPO. Then, the largest drugstore chain in the U.S. is going to the marijuana business. But is it enough to pull CVS, the stock, out of its slump? I've got the CEO. And Anita, some zzzz. Don't sleep on tonight's off the charts. And stay with Kramer. Don't miss a second of Mad Money. Follow at Jim Kramer on Twitter. Have a question? Tweet Kramer. Hashtag Mad Tweets. Send Jim an email to madmoney at cnbc.com or give us a call at 1-800-743-CNBC. Miss something? Head to madmoney.cnbc.com. Prepare to be flooded with new IPOs. The deluge starts now. Today, Levi Strauss and Company, the maker of Levi's jeans, came public and it came public with a bang. The deal was supposed to price somewhere between 14 and 16 bucks, but there was so much demand for this, it was 10 times oversubscribed. That's a lot. Then it came public at 17. Then the stock started trading at $22.22. It's up more than 30% before going on to close at $22.41%. So if you got stock on the deal, you have a 31% gain. There is tremendous demand for Levi's, and this is just the first in a wave of big IPOs. Lyft comes public next Friday. Then later this year, we're going to get Airbnb, Uber, Peloton, Slack, and Pinterest, among many others. But let's not get ahead of yourselves. If you were lucky enough to get in on the Levi's deal, you've already got a really good win. For the rest of us, though, what the heck are we supposed to do up here? Do we take a shot at it? Do we invest in it? Is this a good level? Now, we know Levi's is a high-quality brand. We know the business is in great shape. But is the stock worth buying at 22 bucks and change? i got to tell you, as much as I like the product and wear it, I'm hesitant, a little hesitant, to recommend the stock up here. I think Levi's is absolutely worth buying at some price, just not at this one. I'm going to tell you why. Before we get into the valuation, you need to know your IPO so that you understand what it is and what you'll be paying for. 
And when you get to know Levi's, there is really a lot to like. First of all, we're talking about one of the most iconic apparel brands on earth. Everybody knows Levi's, and the company also owns Dockers and Denizen. The company is best known for its jeans, although it sells all sorts of apparel, along with outerwear and footwear. But as much as many of you may like the brand, it's the numbers, of course, that does drive a stock. But actually, the numbers are kind of interesting. In 2011, the fabulous Chip Berg took over as CEO, and under the leadership, uh, his leadership, Levi's has pulled off a remarkable turnaround. Berg decided that Levi's needed to focus on its profitable core business and exit a bunch of less profitable side businesses. That was brilliant. In 2015, that caused the company's revenues to shrink substantially. You can do that, of course, when the company's private. But it also set the stage for a real comeback. By 2017, Levi's racked up 8% revenue growth, and last year that accelerated to nearly 14%. At the same time, their margins have increased substantially, which is how Levi's earnings per share managed to triple from 2014 to 2018. That's pretty good for an apparel company. As part of its IPO prospectus, Levi's provided some guidance for their latest quarter, and those results were excellent. While the company's talking about 57 to 6.8% revenue growth, very meaningful, a meaningful slowdown, though, versus last year, they also told us that their adjusted debt income would increase by 62.9 to 78.4%, which is a heck of a lot better than last year's number. Although when you look at the earnings before interest and taxes, the numbers are a lot less crazy. They're talking about high digit to high single digit to uh, low double digit growth here. Fine by me. Really, though, if you want to get your head around the story, you should hear from Chip Berg himself. Now, we had him on the show back in October 2016. Here's how he explained Levi's success. First of all, our strategies are working, Jim. We, uh, about four and a half years ago, we declared three key choices to focus on our profitable core business, which generates all the cash, and invest that cash back into the two, to the two things that are going to drive growth. One is expanding for more. We've got lots of categories where we're underdeveloped on the Levi's brand. And second is become a direct-to-consumer retailer. So that's a big part. We've also got a big global footprint of retail stores. And we sell Levi's in 110 countries around the world. And then the last big thing is the brand is resonating again. We've brought the brand back. And that uh, that was a big part of the mission when I joined the company. I followed the company since the 80s when it was last public, and this man has done everything that he said he would do. He told us his game plan, and then he delivered. So before I get into the specifics of the stock, I want to say that Chip Berg and his team have done a fantastic job at Levi's. The success of the IPO today is perfect validation of Berg's strategy. He deserves this kind of result. But as much as I like Levi's, the company, it doesn't assume you should rush out and buy it right here, right now. I've got to talk price. Valuation. We don't have good estimates for how much Levi's will make this year, but we do have historical numbers. Right now, the stock is trading at more than 20 times last year's earnings estimates. That may not sound super expensive, but look at the rest of the apparel space that it would be compared to. PVH sells at 11 times. Okay, Ralph Lauren, very good company, sells at 17 times. Magnificent turnaround going on there. Uh, only Guess is more expensive, but that's because Guess is being put through the meat grinder today. Its earnings are evaporating before our eyes. While Levi's was flying today, Guess reported a hideous quarter stock plunge uh, more than 12%. The culprit? The company blamed the incredibly competitive denim market. Now, maybe that just means that Levi's is eating their lunch, but maybe not. Either way, it's not what you want to hear if you're thinking about buying stock in a company that sells jeans. Now, on a forward basis, valuation looks a little more reasonable. Last year, Levi's grew its adjusted net income by 30%. If they can maintain that level of growth, then that would mean the stock is selling from roughly 16 times earnings. This year's back of the envelope earnings estimates. That makes it more expensive than PVH, which sells it 10 times. But again, that's really around the same numbers. Ralph Lauren, which again, I reiterate, I like very much. 
However, there's no guarantee that Levi's can keep delivering such rapid earnings growth. I think it's more reasonable to assume something like 15%, given that the company only expects its earnings for interest taxes and depreciated to increase by 14% at most in the first quarter. In that case, Levi's has a premium multiple, assuming a 15% growth rate. The stock's trading at 16 times this year's earnings estimates, a lot more expensive than PVH and two turns higher than Ralph Lauren. Sorry to go into all those, but that's how you do security analysis. At the end of the day, this is an apparel company, and its stock should be valued like an apparel stock, even as the numbers have improved dramatically in recent years. Levi's has been doing a great job in a tough business. But at the end of the day, I hate to chase the stock. It's up big. And this one's already up enormously after its first day of trading. So I'm a little skittish here. The bottom line, as much as I like Levi's the business, as much as I think the management team is fabulous, Levi's the stock, a little too rich for me at these levels. If it pulls back to 20 bucks, two bucks below here, that's where I think you can do some Bye, bye, bye. Coming up, investors are hungry for exposure to the cannabis craze. Does CVS have a future in CBD? We think that this is something that customers are going to be looking for and is you know part of the health offering. Kramer sits down with a CEO next. Every town is a pharmacy on the corner. Looking to the future, can CVS Health become a cornerstone of your healthy routine? And will the stock belong in a healthy portfolio? For months, the healthcare stocks have been out of favor on the Wall Street Fashion Show. But after the Fed confirmed yesterday that we're in a low growth, low inflation environment, the whole group does become more attractive, particularly the ones with good dividends. Take CVS Health. The stock's been pulverized since the company acquired Aetna, the gigantic health insurer, late last year. The company just announced that it will sell CBD products. That's cannabis-based stuff uh, that won't get, get you high, at least in the states that you're allowed to sell it, they'll do it. And its stock now sports a 3.6% yield and an eight times earnings multiple. I think it's gotten too cheap to ignore, but it's important to know that I've been dead wrong. I've told this to you on this show, and it's also ding my travel trust. I'm going to say it again. I've been dead wrong to like the stock. So let's see what's going on here. Earlier today, I got a chance to check in with Larry Merlot, the president and CEO of CVS Health, who, remember, did pull tobacco from his stores because he thought it was the right thing to do, even though it caused a big hit to earnings. Take a look. Larry, when you put Aetna together with CVS, I thought it was an absolute powerhouse. Now I'm wondering, when will it start generating growth, and are there things to do to accelerate that growth? Well, Jim, we're very excited about the opportunities for, you know, for growth as part of these two great companies coming together, and we're off to a great start. You know, it, it, the, the closing was announced less than four months ago. Uh, we have our first concept stores up and operating in the Houston market. It, you know, they've been operating for about 30 days. We're, you know, we're beginning to get some very important learnings. We're, you know, launching pilots, uh, you know, in a variety of areas in the market. So we're off to a great start. All right. Is there a disconnect between some of the analysts who really hoped that you would have already integrated to where you could raise numbers, and the reality, which is that it's just too early, and you're still in a position where you can't guide. So don't force your hand to do so. Yeah, Jim, listen, 2019 is a transition year for the company. You know, we're making investments to bring the vision to life. You know, and at the same time, we're managing through some headwinds in the legacy CVS businesses. Some of those are transitory in nature, and we're taking some additional remediation steps you know, in response to that. But you know, we're very excited about the prospects for growth uh, as you know, these two companies not just come together, but you know, begin to translate the vision into a reality. Before we get to the vision, I want to be sure 
that some of the things that have kept the stock back that you know I've been disappointed in are in the rearview mirror, particularly long-term care, where a lot of the clients, frankly, are fragile, and you can't necessarily get your arms around uh, the slowing in that business. But you did say that you kind of recognize the problem and you're dealing with it. Is it behind us? Yeah, Jim, it's it, it, it's a, an important point that you know the, the skilled nursing facility you know has been under intense financial pressure. Right. We've seen that you know pressure downstream you know impact us. At the same time, we've made some changes in our tactical execution to you know the real growth opportunity in that space is in the assisted and the independent living right. space. So you know we feel that you know we're the, we've got the business stabilized and it'll grow from this point forward. Okay, I'm in a beautiful store here, but what I really want is the concept store. I want one stop. I don't want to get uh, a product. I like to get service. How is Houston in terms of attracting people? Does it have a comp lift? And is it providing what is the one-stop shop that we all dreamed of when you put this together? Well, Jim, think about some of the challenges in healthcare today. Okay. Yeah, it, it, it's gotten way too you know, complex. It's difficult to use and navigate. It's placing a growing cost burden on, on consumers. And you know, we have an opportunity to change all that. Okay. You know, you think about the imperatives that, you know, this new company can create. The opportunity to make healthcare local, the opportunity to make it simple, and the opportunity to improve health. So let's take the local piece first, okay, that, you know, people want to be able to access care when, where, when, and how it's convenient for them, whether it's in the community, in their home, or, you know, even in the palm of their hand today that, you know, right. is, yeah. you know, is with us 24-7. So the concept stores begin to execute against that, that, uh, that imperative. You know, we've repurposed about 20% of what we call the front store you know, to services. So you walk in that store, you see uh, an expanded clinic that includes you know, in-clinic phlebotomy. It includes not just treatment for acute illness, but the management of chronic disease. We have a dietitian on staff, respiratory therapist, and we have what we're referring to the individual as a care concierge. And we're beginning to learn what is it that is important to customers? What are they seeking? You know, they're coming in asking questions about how do, I, uh, how do I more effectively use my benefit design? What does this mean? What does that mean? You know, we've got programs that are focused on wellness, where we're working you know, with you know, community leaders to you know, have programs, you know, sessions actually within the store. And then you think about the role of the pharmacy. Uh, it's not just about dispensing prescriptions, but we're identifying patients who need more personalized you know, follow-up about you know, their medication regimen. So we're off to a great start. Uh, you know, some of this is anecdotal at this point, right. but you know, customers you know, love that one-stop you know, approach. Okay, now I'm a limited guy and I'm bound by the four walls of the spreadsheet. That's the way I've been taught for 35 years. Off to a great start versus numbers coming down. Off to a great start versus Amazon coming in hard. Off to a great start versus worries about a balance sheet that has a lot of debt. I'm trying to get my arms around the idea why, because it's my job to talk about the stock, why the stock is not working, how did, how did the finest pharmacy in the country sell at eight times earnings with the stock down cut in half? So I, I'd say, what's wrong with this picture, Larry? Help me here. Well, Jim, I, the opportunities for growth are here. You know, it's about the long-term story in terms of what this new model creates. You know, and you know, the opportunity to reduce medical costs, which we believe will drive membership. Okay. You know, you think about this combination of, 
Yeah. Yep. And you know, th this combination you know has the opportunity to you know, you think about innovative products and services that you know will be driven through the community assets that okay. we operate and there's you know a revenue and margin gain from that and then we also believe that we have an opportunity to take some of these products and services and sell them more broadly in the market jim some of these learnings uh, you know they go back to you know, what more than ten years ago now when cvs and caremark came together and Jim, you look at the environment, you know, the, the lines are blurring between being competitors and being partners. Right. And we have some of those learnings in the rearview mirror. If you look at Medicare as an example, you know, we have built uh, the largest uh, Medicare Part D drug plan, branded as SilverScript. It has more than six million members. But at the same time, we manage, you know, the Part D benefit for more than 40 health plans. So it's, it's a good example for us in terms of how you can be a competitor, but at the same time being you know, a business partner. But, but, but let's talk about this beautiful story. Okay? This is what I don't get. This is a great business. You have been a great businessman. This is a perfect brick and mortar store that I love to come to. How come it doesn't grow in earnings per share the way it used to? And is it Amazon that does it? Because is it execution? Because this should be providing more earnings per share while you integrate at well, Jim, listen, we've got momentum in our retail business. We're very pleased with, you know, the revenue growth that we're seeing, not just in pharmacy, but, you know, in the front store as well. Uh, and, you know, we expect that that momentum will continue. Jim, some of this is, you know, as we think about this new company, we're going to manage it, you know, at an enterprise level. Okay. And, you know, the benefit of this company is that we'll be able to do things that, you know, as a standalone CVS or a standalone Aetna, you know, neither company would have been able to do. I think that's okay. the real exciting part of so, the future. So those who say that you shouldn't have bought that and you should have just bought back stock, they're limited in their thinking? I would say they're limited in their thinking. That, you know, Jim, the healthcare industry is now more than three and a half trillion dollars. Right. Okay, it's growing at an unsustainable rate, as we all know. We talked about some of the challenges and the complexities, and, you know, there are a variety of studies out there that estimate you know, upwards of 20 to 25 percent of healthcare spending is wasteful, avoidable, can be reduced. You know, percentage points are going to matter here. You know, think right. about some I of agree. the things that we talked about. Being able to reduce, you know, those you know unnecessary costs. You know, the value created is going to start with a B as in billion. Okay. That's the opportunity that's in okay. front of us. You have always been a good merchant. I think people underestimate you for being so. You are a bold merchant. You took tobacco out, which you know I thought was one of the greatest things that anyone could do in terms of just a setback for a bad industry. You just brought in cannabis for some stores. Uh, radical or necessary? Well, Jim, it's, you know, it's interesting, and I appreciate the comment you know, on tobacco, and we're continuing the journey. We had an announcement yesterday of you know, the work that we're doing with the American Cancer Society, you know, uh, the, the truth in terms of you know, helping to make college campuses you know, smoke-free, and you know, we're making tremendous progress. We're very proud of you know, the work that's being done there you know, in partnership with the Truth Initiative and, right. and, and Cancer Society. Jim, as you look at you know the CBD products, as it's referred to, you know we're going to be carrying them, you know, in eight states. We're going to be carrying uh, the topical products only, branded the, the by gels, CVS? not branded by yeah. CVS. And you know, Jim, you know, anecdotally, we've heard from our customers that you know have used those products. That gee, it's helped with you know pain relief for arthritis and you know other you know uh, you know other ailments. So. You know, we're going to walk slowly, but, you know, we think that this is something that customers are going to be looking for and is, you know, part of the health offering.
Okay, so bottom line, it's going to come together. Be patient. Don't be freaked out about the stock. It's a 2020 vision that could still uh, come together in, in a milestone way in 2019 where we could find some things that we like. Jim, we're, we've got a great team. We're working with a sense of urgency, and we're excited about the future. Oh, can't ask for more than that. That's Larry Merlot. He's the CEO of CVS Health. CVS, tough stock to own, good company. Thank you, Larry. Thanks, Jim. Yeah. Once again, once again, tech is leading the way here, and I think this group is extra important. Now, we've caught in a tug of war between the bullish Federal Reserve and the bearish trade talks with China. Don't forget those, please. Uh, they don't seem to be going anywhere at the moment, though. But with some notable exceptions, like the semiconductor core, most of tech doesn't need China to work here. People forget that. So that's why tonight we're going off the charts. Take a closer look at the technology space with the help of Bob Lang. Bob's the founder of ExplosiveOptions.net, as well as being the brilliant technician in the three-man all-star team behind the Street.com's Trifecta Stocks newsletter. He's also the author of Know Your Options. So while looking over the charts, Lang noticed a very interesting pattern, a group of tech names that he thinks could be ready to roar here. I say they've already been roaring, but let's go with this. He likes the three Zs. He likes Zscaler, Zendesk, and Zebra Technologies. To get taken together, the three Zs give you a pretty good read on a wide swath of the tech sector. We know the cloud stocks are on fire here, led by the likes of Salesforce and ServiceNow. But Zendesk, the cloud-based customer relations software play, put up a, just a ridiculously fabulous quarter with stellar guidance, and its stock has been a rocket ship. This company has an interesting niche. Whenever you call customer support, Zendesk's platform makes it easier for the support staff to answer your questions quickly, either on the phone or online via text-based chat. The company also has been expanding into data and analytics and Salesforce automation, and it's working. Stock is white hot. It's up nearly 44% year-to-date. How's your uh, index fund? Everybody says you have to be all in. Many of the hardware plays have made a comeback, led by Corning and Universal Display, but Zebra's no slouch either. Companies all about enterprise asset intelligence. Think barcodes, mobile printing, data capture, real-time locating systems, and radio frequency identification. In other words, Zebra helps businesses keep track of everything from inventory to their, on their trucks. Uh, even like, by the way, they they uh, they track the football players. They put the thing right here. You see whether they're uh, you know what their blood pressure and temperature and stuff is. The stock's already up 37 percent for the year, on top of a 53 percent gain in 2018. Now, close observers know that we have been huge fans of Zebra and always welcome CEO Anders. Gustafsson on the show. He's real smart. Then there's the cybersecurity, a, a theme that you know we like. It's another one of our favorite long-term ones. We've spent a lot of time talking about outfits like Palo Alto Networks and CyberArk, two winners that protect companies and governments from hackers. Zscaler also deserves some respect, though. Here's a cloud-based cybersecurity firm that came public in 2017 and has delivered some amazing earnings growth thanks to the very popular suite of products. Since the beginning of 2019, Zscaler has already run up more than 78%. These three stocks are emblematic of what's working in the tech world right now, and a lot of people are afraid to talk about them because they are so high risk. But we're trying to, we're, we're trying to show you, using these stocks as examples, what Bob Lang is saying is red hot. So let's go to the, what we call the straighter. <laughs> Hate the straighters, cold in its day. Okay, let, let's, let's start with Zendesk. Uh, it's the inaptly tickered Zen. I say it inapt because, I mean, does this, does this, this daily chart look like Zen to you? I got more Zen for heaven's sake. I don't think so. Zendesk keeps roaring higher. Lang points out that the stock is now above all its important moving averages. The relative strength index, or RSI, that's an important momentum indicator, remains elevated, indicating strong buying. Sometimes this will be a sign that the stock's gotten over 
bought, which means that you should be worried about a quick turndown. Ah, this is what's called embedded action. Embedded overbought situation where the buyers keep showing up. I wrote about this a lot in, in Get Rich Carefully, which is that there's these situations... These, these really odd situations where the stock is up so much consistently that it's actually positive. Crazy stuff. All right, let's go back. What else? Lang likes that Zendesk has made a series of higher highs since November. This is pretty much textbook uptrend. Meanwhile, the moving average convergence divergence, what we call the MACD indicator, another momentum gauge, just made what's known as a bullish crossover. See this? This black line crosses over the red. That's bullish. Uh, And historically, this pattern has been an incredibly reliable predictor of higher stock prices. Sure, Zendesk has already had a fabulous run here, but right now it's at 85. Lengthies could easily trade to 100 in the not-too-distant future. As for me, I know there are environments where stocks that get to 80 tend to go to 100, purely because everybody suddenly wants in. That's that's the description of momentum. Uh, And when I told you about a month ago when Zendesk was at 79, that this stock was worth buying on a pullback Three weeks ago, it pulled back to 74, and then it hasn't looked back since. For better or worse, this thing is smoking hot. God, that is such a beautiful picture. Kind of like Picasso. Nah, Matisse, Matisse. All right, how about the daily chart of Zebra Technologies? Again, this is another turbocharged name that's above all of its moving averages. Though Lang points out that the 20-day average acts as a nice floor of support. We typically do not look at the 20-day average. That's one of the reasons why I thought this was clever to look at. The 20 days working here. It's about 10 bucks from where the stock's currently trading. These levels, he thinks the current uptrend, he's using the term locked in. Not linked in, locked in. What else does Zebra have going for it? The relative strength indicator, the RSI. Look at this. It's once again in embedded overbought territory. Usually when a stock gets overbought, that means it's come up too far too fast, too far to pull back. But uh-uh, when it gets embedded, that means it can stay overbought because the buyers just keep coming back. They cannot resist. Meanwhile, the MACD indicator just made the same buy signal we saw in Zendesk. So here you've got the MACD indicators. That's the blue, black line crossover the red. Put it all together, and Lang thinks that Zebra's a $218 stock that could gallop to $240. Lickety split. All right, finally, there's Zscaler, the cybersecurity play. When you look at the daily chart, you can see, is anyone else talking about Zscaler in the world besides the people working Zscaler and me? Okay, you can see that Zscaler's been a monster since the report at the end of February. Stock pole vaulted higher on the news. I mean, look at this. Wait, wait, look at this. Uh, and now it keeps making new all-time highs. Once again, embedded overbought, okay? Now, I want you to check out the Williams Percentage R indicator. All right, see this? It measures when a stock has uh, gotten overbought or oversold. Zscaler has been in overbought territory practically for a full year. It just hasn't looked back. It just keeps flying higher and higher and higher. According to Lang, this is one of the best uh, trends in the market. Like most red-hot stocks, Zscaler is barely giving you a chance to get in. If you do see a modest pullback here, he says you'll want to do some buying. But for the moment... He thinks Zscaler will stay hot, at least for the near future. This may be the most up stock in the entire market right now. Zscaler, okay? It's not, you probably think it's like used for fish, right? No. The bottom line, red hot stocks make me a little queasy, but the charts is interpreted by Bob Lang so that the three Zs of tech uh, are in fuego. Zorro, I'm sorry, Zendesk, Zebra, and Zscaler just don't know when to quit. Lang thinks they have got more upside. Me, I hate to chase, but it wouldn't surprise me if Lang turns out to be right. Just promise you, you'll be careful with these. They are purely for mad money only, and you don't want to own these stocks unless you're nimble enough to ring the register while they're still soaring into the stratosphere. Stick with Kramer.
It is time! It's time for the Lord of Comments. Of course, we want to see you and then the lightning round is over. Are you ready, Ski? Daddy, tell me the lightning round is over. Start with Bill in New Jersey. Bill! How you doing, Jim? Bill, I'm coming to play. Yeah. What's going on? <laughs> Fantastic. Love your show, my friend. Thank you. Uh, the question I have for you is Whitestone. Oh, small real estate investment trust, some retail in there. I don't trust these ones that yield more than eight. Uh, nine. Whoa. It's too high. Uh, something may be wrong. I don't want to touch it. Just too... I never reach for you, is the way I put it. Okay, I need to go to Thomas in Florida. Thomas! Jim Kramer, how you doing, buddy? Having a good day. What can I tell you? What's going on? The sun's out down here. Everything's a good day today. But oh, that's good. I'm watching this Microsoft, Jim. Isn't it unbelievable? Isn't it? Look, the Satya Nadella guy, he's doing a great job. Won't come on the show. Won't go. Hurts my feelings. That's okay. I'm a kind man. I'm a good man. That's from Apocalypse Now. But here's the problem. Microsoft has been straight up. I am not going to tell someone to buy it right here. Let's wait for a pullback if you want to get into Mr. Softy, a name I, I coined in 1999. Let's go to Greg in New York. Greg. Hi, Jim. How's it going? Not bad. Thank you, Brisky. How about you, Greg? Okay. Okay. Uh, my question is regarding a company we both uh, know as being really good, Centene. It's been down okay. in the dumps. It's gotten out. It's gotten away from as as Cliff as Cliff Basin, my uh, head writer and only writer and nephew says, it's it's out of fashion on the Wall Street fashion show. What can I say? Michael Nyder's doing a great job right now. These stocks are bad. They always come back. They do. I mean, I can take a look at the chart. I'm banking with Nidwer right here, right now. I need to go to Jason in Alabama. Jason. Mr. Kramer, thanks to you and your team for all your hard work. We appreciate it, sir. My staff makes me look good every day. They do. I purchased, I, I purchased a small position in Callaway Golf Company, symbol ELY. I'm thinking of buying more. Just wanted to hear your thoughts. I like thanks, the stock. Yeah. I'm surprised it fell down so much. I like it. I think it's a good stock to own. I think that you buy it and you can put it away. I need to go to Charles in Florida. Charles. Booyah. Although I have no idea what that means. I don't either. Berkshire Hathaway. I bought it in 2007. It went down 40%. I wrote it. Now it's up 150%. I know your position on taking some winnings off the table and paying tax. But I'm 77 years old and would like to let it ride for my heir. So and I'm going to agree with you. With. I want you to let it ride. There's no reason to sell that stock. That company's doing terrific. So we're going to hold on to that. I like your analysis. Let's go to Craig in New York. Craig. Zimmer Biomet Holdings. ZBH, I, hold I like. It? I like Stryker more than I like ZBH. I like International. I like uh, Intuitive Surgical more than I like that one. And then my favorite right now is Tandem Diabetes, which I reiterate. If Apple would buy, they could then start a $10 a month service that everybody would take. Tandem Diabetes would add close to $20 billion in market cap to Apple in the vision that I have. It's a vision. Hey, how about we go to Ren in Missouri, please, Ren? Hey, thanks for helping the home gamer. You bet, man. That's where I am. I'm friendly there. What's up? Jim, I think you need time off, and I appreciate the episodes you record, you pre-record on July 43rd. Oh, you're nice. I always feel guilty, you know that? But you can't work every day. I'm calling in today at 743 CNBC about Aqua America, WTR. I've always liked it. Philly Bass does. It quietly goes about its thing of going higher. 
There's absolutely nothing wrong with it. I like it very much. And that, ladies and gentlemen, lightning round! The lightning round is sponsored by TD Ameritrade. Right, next week, Apple holds its annual spring fling, the gala, and I'm worried that Tim Cook will need to introduce a driverless Mac car that runs on water and for an additional 49 bucks can take us to Mars. That is, if he wants to keep his stock moving higher. That's how out of control the expectations are getting here, with the stock up 22 bucks since the beginning of March, including a monster nearly $7 run just today. So many analysts who slashed their price targets on Apple stock when it was going down. Remember when it was getting crushed? They were like, hey, take my price target down. <laughs> well, guess what? Uh, they're now raising them as the stock goes higher, which means the rally could prove to be a little chimerical. Chimerical is December's decline. So we've got to be a little careful, all right? So what can protect Apple from a serious beatdown next week? It's simple. The company needs to care about more than handsets. And its investors need to do the same. This is the Apple that at last ignores what Wall Street tech analysts want, more iPhone sales. It talks about how customer satisfaction, how ubiquity, how indispensability will create greater sales for the service businesses over time. If you look at Apple as an amazing technological marvel of consumer product play, that kind of language will make you feel good, but it will disappoint those who want that darn water-powered car inspired by a whiteboard designed by the late, great Steve Jobs in a phantasmagorical moment. Right now, as we get hints dribbled out, it looks like Apple will roll out some sort of video package with original content, as well as a new set of $159 AirPods with 30% lower latency and a Hey Siri feature that makes their amazing talk system come alive hands-free. To the people hoping for the Apple car powered by cold fusion that also doubles as a nuclear submarine, these are merely incremental improvements, which means they'll sell the stock on the news. It's almost programmed. It's like, hey, listen, I'm an algorithm myself. But if you're looking at Apple as merely a gadget maker, you're looking at it all wrong. This company has an ecosystem which you can't live without. This is a symbol for an ecosystem. I'm also an elk, by the way, so it works for there. Um, And that's why I think the service revenue stream, the money they make from apps and Apple Music subscriptions and iCloud backups, will become more and more important relative to gadget sales. For its users, Apple's indispensable. Hey, remember those old American Express ads, don't leave home without it? That's a lot more true for the iPhone and the Apple Watch than ever was for the Amex card. I can't believe how many people I see wearing those teardrops on the street. I think they should start making colored ones with personalization, kind of like what they did with the iPod way back in the day when they made a killing. I recommended this stock at five bucks a smack. Five smackers. Visionary. Live long and prosper. I keep hearing people whine that under Tim Cook, everything Apple comes up with is pedestrian. That drives me crazy because I wear more pedestrian Apple accessories than anything else in my life. Guess what? Life can be pretty pedestrian. Apple makes your day-to-day life easier and more entertaining. There's nothing revolutionary about AirPods, but people love them because they're so much better than every other wireless headphones on the market. I like them more than the old dangling cord headphones, which I always worried would strangle me in one of my 3.30 a.m. workouts. But to borrow a line from Spiro Agnew via William Sapphire, of course, the nattering nabobs of negativism in the press want to be blown away. So I expect them to be out in full force on Tuesday, slamming everything Apple had to offer. They'll be listening on their AirPods, taking new calls on their Apple Watch, with their iPhones taking pictures, all the while denigrating Apple for its short-sighted and utilitarian vision. 
I say what matters is simple. The more ingrained Apple becomes in your day-to-day life, the more you'll find yourself willing to pay for its must-have services. And that, dear friends, is why you have to own Apple, not trade it. Stick with Kramer. Ecosystem, ecosystem, ecosystem. Nike reported an okay number. Uh, is, is it perfect? No. So therefore, if the stock had just run up, sell them off a little bit. But I will say that ConAgra had a very good quarter today. I want to point that out because the last quarter was weak. And Darden, you know what? My daughter and I go to Olive Garden. It is, remember, it's cargo bands with the uh, big rolls in there. Unlimited salad bowl. All the snobs on Wall Street have never been to an Olive Garden. They're bad. It had spectacular numbers, and Darden went higher. You know what? Also, let's not forget that Micron really did deliver what we wanted. I like to say there's always a bull market summer. I promise I'll find it just for you right here on Bay Money. I'm Jim Craver, and I will see you tomorrow. Tomorrow.